0: Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Every two weeks, I and my lovely co-host talk about two games that we've never talked about before. Two completely different games that we have taken the time and energy to play so that we can share our thoughts with you, the lovely listener. And of course, when I say we, I am referring to uh, the man in the arena Walter Ciesielski, Walter, how you doing, man?
1: I am, I am doing very well. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote. Uh, that's a little, uh little strange for you to start the podcast with, but uh, <laughs> I, I listen, man. I uh, if if this was if this was like I don't know six or seven years ago, uh, we would have been doing a very different podcast this week, Jay. That's very true.
0: Look, I I have my qualms with uh, good old Teddy. Um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that is worth criticizing there. But I feel like it's time for a big stick when we talk about our opening topic of the day. Because, you know, we have this League of Legends background. Um, people who have been here for a while uh, will probably remember that this whole podcast started because we talked about League of Legends a whole bunch. Uh, you were our North American expert. I sticking to the European side of things. And with our powers combined, we made a pretty solid show for a surprisingly long amount of time, all things considered. And
1: people um, paid us for it. We actually did. Made, we made a couple hundred bucks off of doing a fucking League podcast.
0: <laughs> Was it that high? I don't know uh, how that ended up getting split and put onto different things. But that's for... Uh, it, it's, been, it's been a while, as they say. Um... But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have to talk about the big thing that's been uh, on the League of Legends brain. And no, we're not talking about MSI because by the time you're listening to this, MSI is done. And either JDG or Gen.G or T1 has already won the event. There's nothing really to talk about hey,
1: there. Hey, hey, now, but as, as we are recording, Cloud9 has not lost to Gen G yet.
0: Like I said, there are three teams that are capable of winning MSI, and one of them has won. And you don't have to say that this is an anti-NA bias, because I didn't include Billy Billy either. There are three teams with a chance to win, and one of them has. Um, but we've got to talk about North America, Walter, because you used to work for a, a league called the NACL, uh, or at least had some, some personal connections to it back in the day. Um, So this is the second time you've watched the NACL uh, taken out back by Riot. Uh, What are your thoughts as you've seen uh, how all of this has developed, um, you know, with the LCSPA doing their best to tweet through it as uh, a whole bunch of teams are suddenly kind of going up in smoke?
1: Um, I'm going to start with just like right at the beginning, um, Phil Arum. I, I have broken my rule of uh consuming Travis Gafford content um because i i didn't I, it's not that i didn't trust but i didn't expect anyone to do like a good synopsis or uh or uh you know tldr of his interview of Phil uh, Aram who is the uh, head of the players association the like non-player head of it um, cause I, I wanted some thoughts. I wanted to see like, Hey, what's going on behind the scenes? Because on Twitter, he seemed pretty, like, pretty angry, pretty like, oh, we got fucking stabbed in the back here. Um, and I, have I listened to had just over half, maybe two thirds of the, the interview at this point, uh, got to the point where he started taking questions from, uh, the, the audience, so to speak. And, uh, from everything I, you know, read from there, it seems like the players got, um, they got fucking blindsided by this. Um, It had been in conversations. Everybody was pretty sure that it was going to happen. Maybe if it was going to happen, it was going to happen next year. Um, And then they had a meeting that ended like 10 minutes before Riot made that post about how they're still invested in the NACL. And they basically said, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's what the owners want. And, um, you know, there's a discussion. Travis asked Phil, Phil, about well, if the teams were gonna be insolvent because they have to run these NACL orgs, like do, would you rather them be insolvent or not have an NACL team? And he's like, hey, listen, like um, it maybe is like half a million dollars at the most to run one of these teams. And I know that uh, that Steve, Team Liquid just came out uh, today, um, actually, what is it? About an hour ago, uh, posted a video according to the r slash league of legends subreddit and that uh tl's cost for academy is six hundred seventy five thousand dollars uh for the year which is visa food housing salary staff total and he thinks that the uh, teams are spending between five and seven million dollars um, on academy which is like not an insubstantial amount of money but also like fuck you guys um and, you know, moving on from whatever the, the Players Association does, I truly hope that they formally unionize. Um, I really hope that the North American players are able to convince their foreign counterparts that this is a worthwhile endeavor, that they all need to be on the same side. And uh, I and Veteran and a few other, like, kind of B-to-C-list celebrities on, Twi- on League of Legends Twitter have asked, like, hey, are you guys going to strike? And I know that a strike is a formal thing that a Union does, but at the same time, like, there were jokes about, like, well, what happened if Golden Guardians and Cloud9 just, like, refused to play? Honestly, the players should have fucking refused to play. Um, but I also understand it's MSI, it's important, you know, hey, I'm not going to begrudge them from playing, but the fact that the LCS starts next week, apparently, or, or like, a week from today or something, a week after MSI ends... um, uh, there's not a team that should be playing Week One player-wise, um, and I know that the owners are going to probably try to flex their uh, flex their muscles and flex their definitely not threats um, to get the players to play. Um, but at the end of the day, there's two people that that are at fault here. Uh, ultimately, the fault lies at Riot's hands. Um, they fucked themselves. They fucked all of this. Uh, it is 100. 95 percent uh, their fault um, they had a thriving amateur scene uh, back when I was part of the original North American Challenger League and uh, I'm not gonna say anything untoward towards them uh, I think that you know what we tried to do was was admirable um and we had a we had a thriving amateur scene thriving third party amateur scene that uh, riot absolutely fucking refused to work with sure did. Um, I don't want to call out this riot employee personally, but we and the other, uh, like third party organizers at the time desperately tried to work with riot because they were running a challenger series at the time. There were six teams that were in it. Uh, there were qualifiers, all of these things. And we were desperately trying to work with them. Um, not in like trying to work with riot directly that we would feed into them, but in a manner of that, we wouldn't step on their toes there was a, a Riot employee that we sort of would touch base with that I, you know, we'd all directly asked, hey, when are the Challenger Series finals going to be so we don't schedule ours for the same time? Uh, one, because there could have been a conflict between our, the teams playing in our league playing in that. And two, like, also, like, people are going to watch the official Riot League over the, over the NACL. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's just truth. And I offered to sign an NDA. I literally offered to do everything... Uh, Under the sun to just get the one date, just say, what weekend can't we run? And very politely, this person uh, told me in corporate speak to fuck off. Um, He didn't say those words exactly, but that is what basically uh, was intimated, was we don't want to work with you. We have our own thing. We don't fucking care if we are, you know, blocking you out of things. Um, Riot, this is all their fucking mess. And they make billions of dollars a year. And the fact that they haven't figured out a way to share any of that money or deliberately choose not to share any of that money with the um, marketing team, because let's be frank, the LCS is a giant marketing campaign for League of Legends and for Riot Games. Um, I guess it looks good on their tax returns.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, there's a lot we can get into in terms of how Riot has kind of pled poverty during a time in which League of Legends is making billions of dollars because they have done a very good job of hiding the customer retention numbers when it comes to what they believe profit sharing should be among pro teams in a way that is genuinely frustrating. But I think there's one thing that's You know, I always keep circling back to when we talk about the NACL. I wrote an article in 2014 calling 90% of the problems that came to pass. And I was pretty ignorant overall and not nearly as uh, thorough in my research and thought process as I am today. It was just that obvious. It was just that obvious that Riot was prioritizing control over the ecosystem over building an ecosystem that could thrive from a variety of different partners the way we've seen from a game like CSGO. And what they implemented was something that teams were always going to have very conflicting feelings participating in. They have undermined those teams such that of course they're going to feel resentment and of course they're going to look for a way to reduce costs that they don't feel like they should have to keep up with since Riot's not really keeping up with their end if you think about the realistic nature of what revenue sharing should look at it's all very predictable and it's all very stupid and it all makes north america worse and it's a real bummer because the people who are hurt most by this are these amateur players um who who could really use the stability and should have at least been given the end of the year like even if you want to make the argument that these lcs teams shouldn't be Required to keep up with it in perpetuity, which is something I'm a little bit empathetic for, uh, if only because I understand the realities of running a business, um, which is what these ultimately are. Doing it halfway through the year is pretty fucked, um, especially because a lot of these teams are built off of, you know, uh, these kind of imports uh, players that have put their lives aside to do this under the idea that by, you know, they would have a job throughout the year. Um, and so a lot of people are being kind of turned on their heads in a way that's really frustrating. Um, and and while I will say I understand people like Steve pointing out that it's not been a great path to the pros uh, compared to some other things and that there are too many ex pros that are currently filling the space. Whose fucking fault is that? You know, like uh, the rules about how many veterans could be on a team could have been anything they made a call to take the easiest option which was to rely on players who already had a brand through previous time in the LCS it it's all self-inflicted wounds every step of this is a self-inflicted wound that north american league of legends did to themselves and uh you know i don't take any joy in that i i just it's just a a, a real bummer especially because uh without a proper union I don't expect the pros to put themselves aside for the sake of these amateur players. I don't think most of them think about things that way, uh, which is not a condemnation of the players. It's much more just a condemnation of the system we're in and, and the place that we find ourselves. But that—that that is at the end of the.
1: Well, that is the other five percent. I do wanna uh, do wanna touch on for for a brief second because I know Chase, this is not a League of Legends podcast. This is a gaming podcast where you and I play a new video game every single week. Uh, every two weeks, and then we talk about it. Uh, but I do want to mm. admonish the owners for one moment, um, because Phil does make an excellent point. Um, listen, like a half a million, six hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, like whatever, is a drop in the bucket compared to everything else that these organizations are doing, and their inability or uh, lack of desire to fund an NACL team. Has more to do with failed ventures, uh, you know, failed ventures into other esports that provide less income or less sponsorship generation uh, than the LCS does and the NACL. uh, Comes down to giving their executives large bonuses while laying off the remainders of their staff, uh, building exorbitantly large training facilities uh, in Los Angeles, in particular, where, hey, uh, property's not fucking cheap in Los Angeles. Um, And like failing crypto sponsorships. Like you got into something that was ridiculously speculative and you lost. And your first thing to do is, well, yeah, let's fire the like 15 people that run our challenger league. So we can save half a million dollars because we lost like a $10 million or a hundred million dollar naming rights deal. That's right. Fuck you, Reginald. I, I would, I truly, truly think that you have so far damaged your reputation and your your branding for this entire thing, I'd almost rather have Ocelot as my owner, and he hangs out with fucking Andrew Tate, who is an alleged rapist. <laughs> alleged, alleged, alleged. Um, that yeah. being said, Chase, this is not an LCS podcast, and I rescind the floor <laughs> back to you.
0: <laughs> Look, it, it needed to be said. Um, I It's just, it's a shame. Uh, because it didn't have to be this way, uh, but given the choices that have been made year over year for nearly a decade now, it was always going to be this way. Um, but you know what we, you know, you can't see the future on everything, Walter, and I gotta be honest with you, uh, knowing what game you played today, I don't think I ever would have guessed that this is the game that would have drawn your attention, um, because I know you don't like horror things, uh, but I believe the game you played today uh, bucks the trend that uh, those uh, of, uh, of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while might expect. So what have you been
1: playing, Walter? Chase, I don't know what you're talking about. I've just play, been playing a fishing game called Dredge. That's all it is. It's just mm. a fishing game. Just You have a boat, um, and you, you go out, and you fish, um, you fish during the day because there's sunlight, uh, and sunlight, you know, keeps keeps things away, um, and you and you just don't want to be out at night. Um, you, you even though fishing, like you try, probably want to fish more at like sundown or sunup. Nope, you gotta fish during the day uh, when it's bright out, um, because if you fish at night, there's eldritch horror. <laughs> but it's a fishing game. There, it's a fishing game. It's a fishing game. It's a fishing game. It's a, a, fishing, game. It's a fishing game, and I enjoyed it immensely
0: fascinating okay so you already hinted at the monsters that appear at night so i think this speaks to a trend that i've uh i've seen in a few games that you've played now is this a game where you made your own fun by just only fishing during the day or did you take the plunge into what i believe to be the hook of this game uh with the eldritch horrors that come along the way
1: Ha ha ha! I see what you did there, Mister Pun. I I uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, listen, Walter Nicholas Fedchuk ain't afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. I played this game the way it's supposed to be intended. Uh, in all honesty, and I will be honest with you guys, uh, I put just over seven hours into it. Um, I I don't know how long it would take to beat it, you know, completely. Um, I've gotten through like the first four areas basically there is at least a fifth and I don't know if there's anything beyond that I have not beaten the game um but no I have not just like strayed only you know gone out during daytime I have fished at night in fact to be able to progress you have to go out at night you have to engage with the the eldritch element and maybe it's just because I've only played seven hours of this game but I don't understand why this is a horror game other than that there's like some eldritch creepiness and stuff to it like maybe maybe i have just been super lucky where i have um i have sort of avoided being out late and long enough that my sanity is completely diminished and there will be some sort of jump scare or anything but um i mean i've dealt with some eldritch beasties uh, eldritch beasties and other than you know having to pay some money to repair my ship um i haven't felt like this is a horror game
0: fascinating
1: okay so let's, let's
0: start um, from the top here a little bit, because I have not played Dredge. I only know the reputation of Dredge. What is the day-to-day of Dredge look like? Because I know there's kind of this day-night cycle and this kind of fishing theme throughout, but
1: what is the game ultimately built around at its core? The game is ultimately built around fishing um everything that you you need you are going to be pulling out of uh out of the water and there is a variety of uh different uh, classifications of the water there's deep there's coastal there's shallow um there is abyssal which i assume is supposed to be like the depths right you know the marina trench um there's a volcanic area there is a mangrove area which i have not yet gotten to yet um the, the daytime is, is when you're going to be doing the bulk of your movement from place to place and when you're going to be doing the bulk of your fishing, which you fish, you acquire fish, you sell those fish, that's how you get money, that's then how you upgrade your ship. Uh, but also, to upgrade your ship, you need to dredge... Uh, uh, crafting materials essentially you need to dredge wood or you need to dredge metal or you need to dredge cloth for sales or research parts or all these things that go into like upgrading your ship uh, and that gets gated behind you have to progress so far through the game before you get the dredging equipment um that allows you to then like upgrade your ship in that manner um so the bulk of what you're doing is going to be during daylight hours because That's when it's safest to do things. Now, there are quests, um, even starting very, very early in the game, where it's like you have to acquire a certain fish or an eel or something that only comes out at night. And the very first area, it's a very, like, kind of closed off area. You have two ways in and out. And um, you have a village on both ends, Greater Morrow and and Lesser Morrow. And you kind of just, like, interact around this little island here. um, And you learn the mechanics of the game. Um, basically. That's really what the first area, the, your tutorial area is. And then it says cool, um, there's this progression of you're trying to find these relics uh, for a collector, and you find the first one, you take it to him, you give it to him, boom, he sets you on the quest to re- uh, to get the rest of these relics from the four other areas surrounding um, you know, uh, there's a, one to the northeast, there's one to the southeast, southwest, northwest, and kind of sets you off on your path. And in each area, you have New mechanics that basically are added to the game. Um, the The first area that you had to adds explosives, which allow you to to break rocks, to open up areas, to make paths more um, uh, quicker. And actually, was the first time I actually um, interacted with one of like the eldritch monsters that are that are hiding there. It's this big fish that basically like has one eye and charges at you and greatly damages your ship, and and uh, then disappears back into the depths. Um, that's not really a spoiler, but like, that's kind of what you're experiencing once you get out of that first area. It took me a long, it took me a, quite a few hours, um, after I, you know, I got to that first area and I went back to the original area a few times. Cause there is some like moving back and forth and you acquire an item in a certain place. You got to take it back here, take it there. And I didn't realize, um, but there had been an eldritch horror at the first area too, that I had just never interacted with. And it might've been like, I don't think I was purposely avoiding it, but I just never happened to interact with it. And I finally was like, huh, I wonder, cause there's this like random boat that's like traveling around and you kind of learn that it's like, oh, it's you know, the, the mayor of Lesser Morrow used to be a fisherman and go out. And I was like, I kinda wonder what that boat is. And I went and I found and you know went after it. I was like, oh, it, it is. It's an Eldritch monster. Got it, cool. Um and when you when you go out at night, um, there are there are reasons not to go out at night. You do have like a sanity meter because this is very Eldritch Lovecraftian. And the longer you're out at night and the and the more time you're awake, the more your sanity meter decays. And it's represented by this eyeball that appears on your compass. Again, very Eldritch, very Lovecraftian. And um, that is affected by a number of other things. There are these red kind of patches foggy patches or aurora borealis style patches uh across the ocean as you're piloting around that if you get close to them they will drastically uh you know reduce your sanity and um honestly like i don't know what happens i don't know if there's a max to your sanity i don't know if like it finally decays to the point where just like a tentacle monster like grabs your boat and pulls you down. Um, But, like, some of the things that happen is, like, you start seeing eyeballs and weird things all over the place. Uh, Rocks will just, like, randomly appear in front of you. Now, whether the rocks were always there or whether they've been magically created, you have no idea. Um, A uh, a flock of birds, you know, these black ravens with red eyes will appear and they'll take fish out of your boat and things like that. Um, And then you can sleep it off. You can go back to a dock, you can sleep it off, and your sanity's back. Um... And that's like the mechanics of the game. The mechanics of the game are are, are quite simple. The fishing is very very easy. It's you kind of have different style meters and your entire goal is just to hit the button when you're supposed to hit the button and then you catch the fish and it's it's all relatively simple.
0: It's it's super interesting to to hear that kind of balance between the the fishing mini game, which seems like a kind of classic finish uh, fishing mini game get the timing, get the fish, sell the fish, get some more stuff for your boat, bam bam boom, versus this kind of like plot related exploration of these kind of you know either eldritch beings or these different islands and 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 more creepy aspects as you're trying to collect these relics um Which did you find most engaging? Did you find yourself just really enjoying the kind of routine of doing the fishing that serves at the core here? Or uh, were you someone that, by my understanding, uh, struggles with horror as much as I do, uh, as enthralled or more enthralled with the places that you needed to explore and the horror elements that popped up along the way?
1: Uh, it's, it's definitely the first. I was I was much more engaged with the actual fishing uh, mechanics of it and the day-to-day life and the upgrading your ship and, oh, you need to have three planks. Well, I only have one plank. I need to go find two more and where do I find those? And upgrading the ship and, you know, all of those things. And the, the Eldritch horror aspect of it, the actual plot of it, is it's still a thing to solve, right? There's still some intrigue to it, but it's more of like mechanical intrigue. Um, it's more of, You know, the area that I'm in right now, the volcanic area, is... I I don't really want to give away the mechanics, so to speak, but there's a mechanic to it of how to deal with the eldritch being. And you have to go to three different locations in this area and collect an item, right? And the the being itself, like, isn't very terrifying to me. It's not like it, like, pops up out of nowhere. Like, you... If you pay attention to the very, you know, when you first kind of enter the area and you figure out what you're supposed to be doing, if you pay attention to what the game tells you, you sort of have learned the mechanic, right? It teach, it says this is what you need to do in in a very philosophical, rhymey, poetry kind of, you know, way. And it became more about like, okay, how do I work with the mechanic the game is presenting me to accomplish the task that I'm trying to do? And I'll be honest, like you know, we're, we're recording a couple weeks later. Um, when I first tried it, I, I like, I kind of understood it, but I was having trouble with it. Right. And I, I wasn't successful with what I was trying to doing, uh, do with it. And then it's, it's kind of funny this morning. I put a, uh, like another hour into it, not because I needed a refresher or anything like that, but genuinely because I had an hour before work And it was like, what do I want to do? I had MSI on in the background. I was watching G2 uh, lose game three to Billy Billy. And I was like, what do I want to do? Right? I could load up a game of League and I I don't want to get into that right before work. I could throw on Madden or 2K just for something dumb, you know, just to like kill time. I was like, no, you know what? I could kill time in Dredge. Like I could just, I could put another hour into Dredge. And it's not that it was an aha moment, but like I, I like loaded in. I was like, Oh, I know how to fucking deal with this. And like, I got to the two, you know, two of the three locations that I needed to get to. And I sort of figured out the third and I'm like, Oh, I know where it is. Like now I just have to figure out the right path to get to it. Um, and like I picked up the messages. I've done some of the side stuff. And like, there is some intrigue there. If you are very much a Lovecraftian eldritch horror, you know, investigate the mystery kind of person. Um, but it is it, it's it's the actual like the fishing minigame it's the game part of it that's really drawn me more than the plot and that's not to say that the plot is bad it's just that like i kind of like the simple fishing minigame
0: you know it's super interesting to me because i i've obviously run into fishing minigames in a, in a few different titles that i've talked about on the podcast right and it's usually just kind of this side thing, right? It's simple and straightforward, but there's some fun in it if you want to explore it that way. But otherwise, you leave it alone and you move forward with uh, the more story-oriented things. But this seems like uh, a gameplay loop that you found um, engaging and, and kept you uh, glued in such that the side stuff, right? The, the things that, you know, uh, might be more plot-oriented or things that you can kind of engage in as you wanted to, uh, but no matter how much progress you made on that front, you still had this kind of core to it, which is super interesting. I I think that in general, it's easy for fishing to feel like busy work, and so it's cool that there's a game that's really figured out how to make that feel more substantial. Um, This is one of those weird things where I probably know a little bit more about where the game is going than you do, Because to do my part of the podcast, I have the Wikipedia page open right now. um, Which means that I kind of know where things might end. So I'm just a little curious. I'm going to ask this in a way that uh, does not give anything away. Uh, One, do you see yourself completing this game until you have finished the story? And two, uh, if you do, uh, do you think you are... uh, Team Collector, or Team Fuck That Guy? Um, because it seems like that's kind of the, the split that the game encourages you to take as far as what to do with these relics.
1: So, like, here's the thing... Um I, I, I brought up the Wikipedia page, too, because, like, I do that as well. I have, for, for our games, I bring up the Wikipedia page in the Steam. And I accidentally, like, started to stray too far. I was like, wait, stop. And I closed it. I've, I've closed the Wikipedia page because I don't actually want to know <coughs> the ending, right? I want to leave that open to myself that if I do want to go back and, you know, hard complete it, you know, whatever, go through it, I absolutely can. Um. I'm playing another game, too, that's a longer form game that is probably going to take up some of my free, you know, most of my free time um, so that I can talk about it in hopefully a month or whatever. And it's a bummer that I actually have that other game playing because I would like this to be my, like, come home from work, have dinner with my partner. She goes to bed. I have a couple hours to myself. Like, I would love if this was that game where I could just, like... I'm not going to play League. I'm going to do a couple hours of a a video game. I'd love to play Dredge. Honestly, I feel the same way about Ace Combat, which I haven't gone back to either because I only have so much time in my life. I only have so much time in my day to try and do everything that I'm I'm trying to do. And I hope I beat this game. There is a part of me that is like a little curious about what the fuck is going on. Um, But there's also a part of me that's like, I could treat this game like I treat Grand Theft Auto sometimes, which is like... I got an hour to kill. Like, let me just drive around and just, like, fuck around. This is a, like, hey, you know what would be really nice and relaxing after, like, a really fucking stressful day at work? Let me just hop on this boat and just go fishing. And, like, it'd be a fun fishing mini game. which Stardew, Stardew fishing minigame fucking sucks. I fucking hate mm. Stardew's fishing minigame. It is terrible and is part of the reason why, like, I haven't actually tried to play that game. Cause I I've sat down and I played it with my partner multi um, multiplayer a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try fishing. That fucking fishing mini game sucks. It is so hard to do. But I have like liked some of these. I played New World and made my own adventure. Right? I became a lumber fucking, I became a lumberjack. And hey, guess what? There's fishing in that game too, and I loved fishing in that game. So like, <laughs> it's okay to sometimes just have something where you know I pulled out Red Dead Redemption two on occasion. I would just go hunting in it. Right? I played Call of the Hunter. Like, I think I do kind of like having some of these things where it's like a very simple, replicatable gameplay loop that I can just kind of zone out in and really enjoy myself. And I really hope that that does pull me to finish the game because it is a fucking fantastic game. And spoiler alert, I'm going to recommend it. I think everybody should play it. And like, I can't say with 100% certainty there is no horror elements that won't scare you at some point because I don't know. I might not have touched them yet. Maybe I have been such a wuss and not known it that like I've, I've just barely been on the edge of that sanity where all of a sudden something is going to like jump up and and like eat me or whatever. Right. I don't know. I can't promise you that. But what I have had hasn't felt like a horror game. It's felt more like darkest dungeon where it's like, horror. yeah, there's some like creepiness to it. I could get why, like, maybe if this was done in a different way, it could be, like, super scary. But, like, for me, it's felt more of a, like, not turn-based, but just this, like, there's a mini, there's a game here that you're playing and sort of the creepy horror elements sort of circulate around it, right? And you can engage with those as much as you want, or you could just enjoy, like, the core gameplay loop, which is really fun. It's really, it's it's repetitive in a good way because it's consistent, And, like, this is a game where I could probably, I could shut it off, I could go on vacation, come back in a week and a half, I could pull it up and I could start playing the game right away and not have to worry about combos or the controls or anything like that. And for someone who is very busy, like, we're all adults, we're busy, we have jobs, we have social lives, we have families, you know, all of these things, like, it's great that there's a game that has caught me that I know I can always come back to and enjoy 30 minutes to a half, or, you know, 30 to 45 minutes so I highly recommend the game, but I can't promise you that like you're going to get two hours into this. You're going to stay out too late at night. All of a sudden something's going to jump scare you. Have no idea. Can't promise you that. Have fun with it.
0: <laughs> you know, I kind of love that for multiple reasons. I, I love that this is a game that you, uh, you know, you feel like you you can get value out of and continue to come back to regardless of whether you finish the story or not. Uh, mostly because I think there's a, a huge pressure in, Uh, game criticism and in gamer culture in general that like oh you haven't really played a game until you've seen it to its end and I just don't think that's true you know if you're enjoying the gameplay loop if you're getting something out of it if you see a reason to come back who cares if you ever reach the ending as long as the journey that is good enough to keep you coming back Um, I also do think it's interesting um, that a game that is so horror coded, uh, you have been able to avoid as much as you have, um, specifically because, uh, you know, this is something that has been criticized by other outlets, that uh, maybe the horror uh, becomes a little trivial, depending on how much you're willing to fish and upgrade your ship and, uh, and set yourself up in a place where you don't have to explore that. So it's it's very interesting to hear something that may be a deficit for one reviewer or one outlet end up being something that allows you to engage with something that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. Um, but, I mean, you've preempted my last question. I was going to ask if you uh, would recommend it, and the answer is yes. Um, I guess the the only question left for me then is, like, do you want to see a, a dredge too? Is this a world that you want to see continue to be explored in atmosphere that you want to spend more time in? Or do you think this game stands alone as it is, is uh, an experience that
1: uh, is good within itself? I don't know how you make a dredge too. Like, I don't know how you take what you currently have and make it better. Like I could see you could do it and just put it in like in a different location and have, you know, more locations, but like you could also just create DLC And just, like, have yourself transported to a different place with four new locations. Like, I I don't know. And maybe this is because I haven't touched on, like, I haven't focused on the story so much. Or I haven't focused on maybe the deeper horror elements that are, like, hiding in there that I've just somehow managed to avoid. But, like, I don't fucking know how you make Dredge 2. I just don't. And, like, it's one of those things where you go, hey, Walter, why do you play Madden? And it's like, well, because it's a football game, the controls are, like, straightforward, and I can just drop in and drop out every, you know, for a couple hours every week and just be fine with it, right? Like, that's what Dredge is right here. Why do I need a Dredge 2 that I have to spend more money on in, like, three years? Other than the fact I'd love to give the publisher more or the developer more money because they did a great fucking job. But, like, I, I have a game here that I really, really like. I really enjoy this gameplay loop, and I'm not sure how you improve upon that or make it better. So, but that's why I'm not a game designer. Like, I don't have to think about those things. I can just <laughs> enjoy the product they made now. And I'm sure, like, in three years, if we're still doing this podcast and Dredge 2 comes out, I'll be playing fucking Dredge 2. Like, unless they make it some sort of first-person survivor horror game. And then, and I'm just going to go play the original Dredge because this one's good. I, I really enjoy this. And I haven't been spooked yet. So, good, good, good game is good. Excellent game. But Chase, since I played a horror game, which is completely out of bounds uh, for me, and I made this joke last time on the podcast, how was God of War 2018? (laughs) Well,
0: Walter, I appreciate your uh, pushing me to finally play God of War 2018, now that I own a console that could actually play God of War 2018. But I've been in a comfort zone mood recently as those of you who follow me on Twitter can probably understand. And so I went to my roots here on this one. Uh, And sometimes you need a little bit of a puzzle game, something that can keep the brain occupied, uh, something that can give you a a little bit of a challenge while giving you a very light and fun story to build around. Um, Sometimes you need a game like Murder by Numbers. Uh, It is a uh, kind of cross between the Ace Attorney series and Picross, uh, which is a puzzle that for um, people who are not familiar with Picross, uh, think like a Sudoku-type grid, but instead of trying to fit numbers into squares, you're trying to figure out what boxes to mark as filled based on the clues that you are given. So for example, if you see a 5 on the side of a line, um, it means that uh, 5 squares in that line need to be filled. They're going to be consecutive, um, and you're going to need to figure out exactly where they are based on the other context clues that you are given. Um, you know, it starts with a pretty simple 5x5 five five grid, um, but eventually uh, explodes into some 15x15 15 15 grids that require a lot of building off of uh each other segment in order to put these puzzles together. Uh especially once you get to a point where uh you start seeing multiple different uh beats within the same uh line. So you know if you see multiple numbers, then you know that you have multiple blocks of that number amount within the same line with at least one break in between. Um, from a puzzle perspective, this means that you're constantly kind of working backwards to figure out what spot has to be filled. And if that spot's filled, what does that mean for the other side of things, right? If you learn a row, you cannot, you know, typically figure out uh, some details about the column as a result. Um, it's a very classic kind of numbery puzzle game uh, that makes the brain real happy if you are the kind of person who likes numbery puzzle games uh, and if you're not the kind of person to enjoy numbery puzzle games then you might enjoy the logic puzzles that serve as the crux of the narrative uh, the uh, actress uh, honor ms Miz, uh, ms uh, getting fired from her show only for the showrunner someone she considered a friend to be murdered for real uh, unlike the detective show that she had previously starred in and now the actor, uh, the actress that had played a uh, detective needs to become a real detective with the help of Scout, her quirky robot sidekick who woke up in a dumpster and doesn't remember any of his identity. And with the powers of their quirkiness combined, they're going to solve some some detective mysteries together. Are you with me so far, Walter?
1: Yes yes i I think I understand a plucky female detective, her cute adorable minion sidekick thing, and pick pick okay, yeah, I'm on board um chase why <laughs>
0: Well, look, it's, it's twofold, right? One, I've always loved the Ace Attorney series. I, I love detective games. I love mystery games. I love being able to kind of put these clues together and try to solve the puzzle of who done it, so to speak. Um, and this game does so with some really fun characters. Um, Honor is uh, someone who's feeling a little bit lost in her life, having just divorced her asshole of an ex-husband, uh, Ryan Blackstock. Uh, who works for this uh very sketchy security firm um after having you know basically been uh, a producer uh that um some people kind of resent uh honor for like having used that connection to theoretically build off her career but as you get to know him he's kind of a gaslighting asshole and uh he's a really fun villain to to root against You've got a very eclectic group of characters within each mystery, uh, and there are four different cases that need to be solved. So you've got a good variety in the types of stories being told. Some of which are much more insular, you know, kind of focused on uh, their own individual narrative, and some of which are much more uh, broadly focused, kind of building on these meta narratives, these larger arcs with the uh, main characters. Um, that end up playing a a huge role here. Um, A lot of tropes in this one. Um, You've got uh, Casey Labou, who is um, the uh, honor's best friend, a makeup artist, who is uh, very camp, very queer, very fun, um, and uh, kind of serves as honor support throughout everything. You've got Detective Cross, who is your kind of grizzled, older detective who... Uh, is forced to to solve a lot of crimes on his own because the uh, department has frozen him out as they wait for him to retire. Uh, But it turns out uh, that perhaps uh, he used to work with Honor's dad before, back when he was in the police force, before being shot in some unspecified crime uh, that he was trying to stop. Uh, which leads to the, the classic like, ooh, I get that you're good at this, but I can't let you work with me because I promised your dad I'd keep you safe, and I can't keep you safe if you're on the front lines being a detective. But it's in her blood, so she's not gonna stop until she gets the bad guys. You know, it's a kind of classic, fun archetypes. It's it's very silly, it's very tropey, um, and it's it's done in a way that's very um, queer friendly. Um, there's an entire murder mystery that's built around a drag bar, um, and it was really refreshing to like have characters openly worry about whether there was bigotry involved in the attack. Uh, it ends up not going in that direction. Um, it's a much more interesting case than um, that uh, kind of initial uh, push might imply. But it felt real that uh, the game was acknowledging that, you know, if a murder was going to happen outside of a drag club, it would come up, right? You'd you'd think about these things and you'd have to keep into account the dynamics there. Um, That and its focus on uh, mental health and um, female empowerment as Honor learns to be on her own, stand up to the shitty ex-husband and build this new career out of the ashes of her losing the show that she used to work on. Um, It's just really fun it's really satisfying and uh it makes for a very uh a character that's easy to work uh to root for and uh easy to uh kind of enjoy the journey uh even as you know we're uh we delve into like the kind of classic um murder mystery tropes right it's got very fun upbeat music throughout it's never meant to be taken super seriously and there's a little bit of like the camp and melodrama throughout Um, but it does enough to keep you interested and the the mysteries are genuinely engaging Um, some of them you'll see kind of play themselves out earlier than others but all of them have enough of a twist uh, that you feel uh, smart when you figure it out and you're able to put those clues together and there's just enough that stands out as individual cases While still playing into these larger narratives that it feels satisfying when you finally put everything together and can take down the culprit and reckon with what that means for your character, um, as well as, um, you know, just for the the mystery in and of itself. Um, So it does the thing it needs to do.
1: The more you talk, like the more I completely go, yeah, like yeah, this is a fucking chase game, like and and honestly, even looking at just like the the description of the game and and the screenshots and all of this, like yeah, if you like put three games in front of me and one was God of War twenty eighteen and one was Murder by Numbers and one was Hello Kitty Happy Fun Time, like I'd be like, yeah, Murder by Numbers is probably what Chase would pick out of these three games. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I understand it. I I think I I get why you would be drawn to this game. And it's funny, you you already answered one of the like part, you know, of question I was about to ask you. It seems there's like two aspects to this game, right? There's the mystery part of it and whether those are those cases are interesting to solve and engaging and and make you want to actually like progress forward and try and find out what's going on. And it sounds like, from what you just said, all of that's true. All of that is good. The cases are are fun, engaging, there's twists, it it uh, subverts your expectations and it seems to match the Ace Attorney feel um, that apparently the music for the soundtrack was the same composer and and what you've already stated so now the other part to it is the the Picross Mm -hmm. does that hold up is that challenging enough to actually call it a game or is it more of just like a visual novel with additional steps
0: well it's interesting that you, you frame it that way, because I, I think you've touched on uh, something that came to define my experience with the game. Um, ultimately, uh, it is a game that is pickross first and Murder Mystery second. And how you feel about that is going to define whether or not I'm going to be able to recommend this game. Whatever fun tropes you get from the story, it's, it's nothing that you haven't seen in other places. It's just a very fun, very good version of that thing. But the selling point here is the Picross. It's, it's solving these number puzzles, and there sure are a lot of these number puzzles, and they all have unique answers. And if you are someone who enjoys number puzzles, if you're someone who wakes up every you know Sunday and gets really excited to solve the, the newspaper Sudoku, I think you're going to find a lot to like. But if you don't like number puzzles, this game is not going to work. Um, it is so integral to everything else going on. Because the number puzzles are how you find your clues. Um, Scout in, in Universe is uh, someone who's really good at finding things. He's very good at detecting things that are hidden and identifying them. Uh, which makes him very helpful when you're solving mysteries. Because he's the guy who finds the clues. Um, you know, it's a very hopeful robot to have. Um, though you do learn some things about his dark and mysterious past that maybe imply a little bit more danger uh, that needs to be unpacked as you get to know him a little better. But ultimately, right, um, that's how you're interacting with 90% of the game. Uh, the visual novel elements are, are maybe 20%, um, where you're just talking to the characters, you know, using the evidence to learn more about them and and kind of solve the mystery. But you have to get the clues to be able to move forward, which means you have to solve the Picross puzzles. And if you want the S rank at the end of each mission, you need to do so without using hints, Uh, which means that sometimes you're going to screw up and you're going to have to figure out how you screwed up and undo that mistake. And if you can't figure out exactly what it is you did, you might have to reset the puzzle and start all over again just to try to unpack where you went wrong. Now, if you're me, sounds great, right? The puzzles are really fun. Um, they are satisfying to solve. Um, I have always been kind of a, a number puzzle guy. Um, and so this kind of thing was certainly something I was, I was able and willing to get behind. But it is not going to be for everyone. This game is not designed for that kind of wider audience, so to speak. Uh, it is designed for people who really like number puzzles and trying to kind of put together the best way to to find these clues to trigger that puzzle part of your brain um, and feel satisfied uh, when you put each individual puzzle together as much or even more so than when you put the narrative puzzle together. Um, I I do think there's a good mix of uh, different designs and that each kind of puzzle feels unique. They clearly put a lot of time into building a wide array of uh of puzzles for you to solve of varying levels of difficulty. Um the fact that there's not a clue uh if you want to get the perfect ending and uh which is used to then unlock uh potential memories of Scout to get like some backstory things. Um I I think um you know there there are pros and cons to that approach. Um, but I certainly enjoyed not being able to use the hints because it pushed me to to figure these things out. But there's just a lot of them. There's just a lot. And even if you really like number puzzles, if you're trying to make progress, if you find yourself invested in the story, it is frustrating when you've made like a big breakthrough and you finally unlock this new location. And it's like, damn, well, we want to move forward. I guess I'm going to have to solve three different puzzles right now to find the three pieces of evidence that I need to confront the bad guy and get the rest of the plot going. And whether that sounds frustrating to you or whether that sounds like, well, you know, let me just enjoy uh, solving these puzzles and uh, get a little bit of a story along the way is going to decide whether or not you like this game.
1: So again, two questions here. First of all, uh, it's pretty obvious that Scott's background is that he was the PI hired by the shitty ex husband to uh, stalk Honor to try and find something to like make her give up her career or whatever. Not like, at all. Don't have to actually admit that. Damn
0: Not even Darn. close.
1: <laughs> it's it's too cute and adorable for me to, to just like be that cynical. Uh, but actually, my my questioning here is. Would this game be be better served as something more, like, episodic? Like, it's funny you bring up the Sunday newspaper. Is this something where you should be like, cool, in June, you know, on Sunday, instead of opening my paper, which if you still get a a real-life paper nowadays, um, I guess good for you. Like, I don't know what you're trying to prove, but uh, good for you. Uh, where you just sort of like, okay, I'm going to do the first case in this, and and that's your first Sunday, and then the second one, you're going to come back and be like, all right, boom, I'm ready to do the second one. Or does that not even break up the puzzles enough to make it not tedious? Uh, First of all,
0: uh, support your local newspapers, folks. Uh, They're the most uh, likely to be able to avoid the standard bias that permeates uh, so much of of, uh, mainstream news when you have to kind of Uh, narrow these things down into things that are easily digestible for an entire population versus local newspapers that can give you something that's important to the people around you and your community and focus on how that impacts you directly. Um, I'm just going to be on that soapbox anytime I get the opportunity to encourage people to support their local journalists. Um, As for like how you can approach it episodically, to be fair, the game approaches it episodically. There are four cases. Each one is unique. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end uh, with the kind of predictable twists that you are used to when it comes to police procedurals where, oh, we got the person, and then, oh no, new evidence has shown up, and it's not the person. Like, you know, those classic things that you, you always expect in a uh, a piece of media like this. Um, but, I, you know... So it's I guess it's hard for me to say because I was obviously in a place where I was just playing this pretty much daily uh, to get there. Um, and maybe if you split it up, you might have a little bit more fun with it in that regard. It's still going to, I think, really come down to the type of gamer you are at the end of the day. Um, I love the Ace Attorney games. And there's never been a point in which I've been playing an Ace Attorney game, going around and collecting evidence via the search function and talking to uh, each of the suspects, and then going to court and having to logically break out these arguments, in which I said to myself, man, you know what would make this better? Stopping all of the narrative momentum to do a numbers puzzle. It just hasn't come up. Um, And if you're like a Professor Layden person, or you're a Picross person, that might be Uh, Something that you staunchly disagree with, in which case the pacing of this game is going to be perfect for you. And I'm happy for you. This game should exist for people uh, who are wired that way. Uh, But it is definitely something where if you're there for the narrative more than you are for the puzzles, you're going to have a bad time Uh, because there sure are a lot of puzzles and the narrative is going to be interrupted every time you need to solve a new set of them. And splitting it up into episodes might prevent you from feeling as overwhelmed by the sheer volume of puzzles at display, but you're still going to run into the narrative pacing issue where you have to stop everything to go solve some more puzzles. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. It's just a very different experience than something like a, a Phoenix Wright where that evidence gathering then goes immediately into a trial, and everything just constantly builds on itself from that perspective. It's just different. Um, and I'm certainly a guy I played this because I, I think the puzzles are fun. I think the characters were fun to spend time with. And while it's not particularly innovative on the narrative front, it is a good time, uh, a, a trip that you will enjoy if you uh, appreciate the tropiness of. Uh, these kinds of of stories, but it's, I mean, it's built into the core. Um, either you're going to really enjoy numbers puzzles, or you're not, and that's going to
1: determine your entire opinion of this game. So you're saying that the the narrative, the the mystery, um, is not enough to outweigh the numerous number puzzles that. Uh, if you don't enjoy number number puzzles um, like myself, uh, this probably is not the game for you.
0: Exactly. This is a game for people who really like number puzzles and think it would be cool if those number puzzles added up to a story. This is not a game for people who like a story and may have a passing interest in number puzzles. Um, and again, you know, I would be more interested in playing daily Sudoku if every fifth Sudoku it gave me a piece of evidence that could be used to solve a murder. Like, that would be more interesting to me than just solving standard Sudoku. But that's that's what you're getting here. It, it's a puzzle game that uses uh, detective story as flavor and as wallpaper uh, and, and gives a, a narrative that otherwise would not be there. It is not a narrative game that has some number puzzles along the way. Um, but if you like that kind of thing... I highly recommend it. I played it all the way through. I got all four cases. I even got all of Scout's memories so I can get the little bonus scenes at the end uh, because it made my, my brain happy to see the spaces get filled in the right way and to get the little happy noise from Scout when he found a piece of evidence uh, and the juxtaposition of this like very happy music before you find like a bloody knife. Um, it's just, just <laughs> from a thematic standpoint, just kind of in- incredible juxtaposition. <laughs>
1: I was going to make a joke about you next time you're going to review popping bubble wrap, but that joke was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Happy noise. And then finding a bloody knife. I. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. And exactly what I would expect looking at the screenshots and everything of this game.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's a-, a podcast. I think that's two games that we ultimately recommend, uh, though perhaps mine with a couple extra caveats based on the type of gamer that you are. Uh, But for now, Walter, uh, where can the nice folks at home find you?
1: You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Um, There's no extra steps you have to take. You can just go right there and that'll be my random stream of conscious for as long as that site Um, It's still as it seems to be the best option because none of those other options have like really taken off as far as I can tell. I don't know. There's something called like Blue Sky now. I I have no idea. I'm not going to move until everybody decides what fucking like Twitter platform they want to be on. And then I'll migrate over there uh, away from all of the fascists because fuck them. Uh, that being said, you guys can also follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod, uh, and you can listen to it on your streaming platform of choice, uh, either the individual uh, feeds Final Cut and Steam Cleaners, or the combined Rough Drafts Podcast feed. Uh, yeah, that's been a podcast. Chase, where can they find you? Uh, you can find
0: me at Chase Wassener on Twitter. Um, uh, this has been a very fun episode. I I look forward to sharing, I will share on our feed. I've got a project I will be working on in the background, a game that simply has far too much to talk about to fit into an episode of Steam Cleaners. So uh, consider this your teaser that some fun things are coming down the pipeline. Um, but there's also the fun things of just every two weeks uh, we're going to have another Steam Cleaners. Every week you're going to get a new podcast in your feed. Um, and uh, hopefully you will be with us along the way, because I don't know about you, Walter, but I have some fun games coming down the pipeline that I am stoked to talk about. But for now, goodbye, Internet.